The Inside Ellen Road podcast is sponsored by PR Supplies at Unit 2 Wither Park Industrial Estate Leeds, postcode LS53AP. Check out PR Supplies on Facebook for all your home retail needs. Hello, welcome to the Inside Elland Road podcast with YAP Chief Football Writer Graham Smith and me, Joe Donoghue, his younger, snappier dressing colleague and fellow Leeds United reporter. Um, Leeds have lost just once in their last nine league games after the weekend's 2-1 win over Bristol City. Robins boss Nigel Pearson was sporting crutches on the sideline at Elland Road, adding to the mystery and intrigue surrounding one of English football's most unique ostrich-referencing opposition player-suppressing characters. Daniel Farker's I know best comments in the pre-match press conference certainly paid off as it was Joel Pirro who scored the match-winning goal at Ellen Road on Saturday. And just to stress the point that two-time championship winner probably knows his onions when it comes to winning matches in this division, he stuck Archie Great right back just for kicks who ended up being voted man of the match. Um, You only gave him an 8 out of 10 though, didn't you, Graham? Yeah, and uh, on reflection, that was probably harsh. Um... I think it was because there was a couple of, I mean, there was a dangerous cross came in from his side in the first half. Uh, I don't know if you could entirely blame him for that because he was up against a tricky winger and largely pocketed him, didn't he? Um, yeah, maybe he was worth eight and a half, nine. I just think he's very young. If we give him if we give him nines now in a year's time, we're going to have to go up to 11. These ratings are going to have to go up to 11. Uh because he's going to threaten the very establishment of the ratings. I, you can just see it, can't you? You know, if he's if he's putting in performances like that at right back at seventeen, what on earth is he going to be doing at eighteen, nineteen, twenty? Well, maybe you should adopt the sort of the L'Equipe, you know, the French daily sports newspaper. Their um, their take on player ratings. When pretty much any time that PSG or a, a prominent French team in Europe lose, they probably don't give out many more than um, threes out of tens for for you know average performers, and then they do dish out ones and twos. It, it's kind of become a thing in um, in European football. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe consider being harsher. You know, an eight for Archie really, or I think I thought he was more like a six. You know, he starts at a zero is maybe the, <laughs> the stance that you should bring to this. Yes, yeah, yeah. I've always he has to do players. ten good things at a minimum, <laughs> and he has to execute all of them perfectly to um, to get a ten out of ten. So maybe that's the benchmark or the bar that you should be setting. Well, he's not going to get a ten because nobody gets a ten, um, because then there would be nowhere to go, would there? Um, I always I always tend to start in my mind at like a five as a baseline, and if somebody's particularly bad like so bad that you think that's not even an average performance. Like that's not even, that's so bad that I'm not even really going to recognize the fact that you showed up and tried. Then that's when you go beyond below the five, um, for an eight. And again, as well, the context of the game matters. Uh, it's difficult to give out eights and nines if leads lose. So, Maybe in the circumstances, maybe I was harsh on him, giving him an eight. Not that I think it will it will have bothered him much, and not that it matters a jot. Uh, I, I was really struck with the performance of Sam Byram. I thought he was absolutely class. 
really, really good. And not just for those two really important blocks, the the goal line header clearance. Um, and I also gave a nine to uh, Jorginho Ruter because I thought he was spectacular, apart from the miss. And maybe even because of the miss, I thought his performance was spectacular because he didn't disappear into himself. He didn't get frustrated. He didn't go searching for a goal himself in situations where he could have passed it. In fact, I thought he was incredibly unselfish. His, his whole performance was about creating for others. Uh, he was back. How many times was he back? You know, in the by the corner flag, helping Archie Gray and defending and starting attacks from there, and actually using his hold up play to to hold off attackers to create space so he could pass the ball off to Archie or clear it. Um, he was absolutely immense. Yeah, again, we keep saying it week on week in this um, in this podcast that that Jorginho Ruta keeps turning in performance of the highest order, um, albeit at championship level. But you know, it's the it's the application, it's the effort that he shows. Um, I think that's probably a good place to begin. Then, really, um, we'll we'll get into the the, the bones of the the Bristol City win um, um, on a more general tone uh, shortly. But Jorginho Ruta, um, I mean, yes, Archie was was awarded man of the match by. You know, fans on social media, but for me, I thought it was it was Jorginho who was who was man of the match, even with that 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 miss in the first half. Um, Graham, you wrote something this week um, uh, on on the YP about uh, Rutez's creative numbers uh, and just how and ju- just trying to to gauge just how effective he's been this season. Um, so, I mean, you know, if if you need a hand explaining some of the finer, more data points, then then do feel free to come to me, but. You know, take it away. What did you What did you find? Uh, he sounded He sounded like a man who wished he'd had the idea, Joe, and written the piece himself. Um, sounds Sounds like a man who did actually write a similar piece a week earlier. Um, yeah, but, but it's, it's all about the It's all about timing sometimes with these pieces. I mean, I feel like you almost went slightly early, whereas I waited for the optimum the optimum time just after a win, international break, nothing else to write about. Uh, you're, you know, both good pieces, but prefer a flan. Um, I, yeah, I took a look at his big chances created, um, because it stood out that he's created more big chances in the top four tiers than anyone else. Um, he's got 10. So I just thought that was pretty remarkable at this stage. And then when I look back to see what Leeds general numbers were in the promotion season for individuals creating big chances, and noticed that Jack Harrison had had led the team with 17. I just thought, you know, Ruter already on 10 suggests that he is a relentless chance creation machine. Uh, the chances he's creating are of really good quality, like the one he, put, he laid on for Somerville at the back post uh, on Saturday, which was great. He played Piero in, probably, probably should have scored first half. He's put in teammates in really good positions, and it's the it's the manner in which he's doing it as well. It, it, he's he's picking passes, like his assist for Somerville uh, against QPR, where he he slots it perfectly into his path, kind of bisecting defensive lines. That's the thing we've been banging on about ever since Hernandez left. You know that Leeds didn't have someone to do that. Leeds didn't have someone to make that killer pass. Uh, Somerville can do it, I think as well but I'm not sure he can do it to the same degree and I also think he's a quite a lot more selfish when it comes to the final third than 
than Ruter. I think Somerville's a lot more likely to go on and try and have a shot than Ruter. Um, but yeah, he, he's he's dribbling past players to create chances, like he did for Anthony um, when he slotted him through from his own half in the in the win against Watford. And he beat two players, I think, for that. He he's created two goals this season through take-ons, successful take-ons. Um, it, it just seems to me like he's he's popping up all over the place and threatening to rip defences apart with either passing or dribbling. And his team are profiting in a in a major way. And if he continues at this rate, you know, he he could easily have hit Jack Harrison's seventeen tally by Christmas or just after. Um, twenty three, I think, is the is the most big chances created in the championship by an individual since sixteen seventeen when they started collating that particular stat. Uh, and I don't think twenty three is outside his reach at all. Uh, I think it's well within his reach. Yeah, I mean, I think that was Emmy Buendia at Norwich under Daniel Farker when Norwich were promoted. Oh, it wasn't. Try again. Try again. I'm fairly oh, sure I did. Here, here we go. Fantastic. <laughs> You've been waiting for this. Oh, um, what a moment on the Inside Ellen Road podcast. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know who it is then. Because well, I, like I feel like have, I did see that. I would like you to have another guess. <laughs> uh, are we talking championship level then? Well, obviously in the championship, yeah. Obviously. All right, it's enough of whole, that. It's the whole um, premise. <laughs> 23. Uh, can I get a season? Uh, last season. Last season? Oh, man. Who was great in the championship last season? So you had You're Burnley. Never going to get it. Never, never going to get it? No. Burnley, Sheffield United and Luton went up. Who was the most prolific chance creator or big Cold. chance creator? Cold. <laughs> uh, was it Jack Clark? No, it was not. It was the right region of the country. It was uh, Giles at. Uh, oh, Ryan Giles. Yeah. Ryan Giles on loan at Middlesbrough. Um, who was he on loan from? Luton. Ooh. Or did, he join, did he join Luton this. Uh, no, he joined Luton this this summer. He joined Luton this summer. Uh, yeah. Anyway, he was on loan at Middlesbrough. It was somebody surprising that he was on loan from. Was it Wolves or something? It might have been Wolves. Might have been Wolves. Yeah. He's been it on was. loan at a lot of clubs. It was. But yeah, Wolves. he created. He was, on loan at, he was on loan at Coventry just to justify my uh, my suggestion there. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, God, so he's, yeah been, he, he's been on loan at a lot of places. He's been on loan. Yeah, he's been. He's a, he's a lone star. Uh, but yeah, he created 23 big chances last year, and I think Ruta will beat that this season with the way he's playing currently. Um, somebody suggested to me <laughs> this week that it's, it's broken some people's minds that Leeds United's biggest creator plays at nine and their biggest goal threat plays at 10. Uh, and it kind of feeds back into you know the, the Farker press conference last week. I still think it's, it's worth talking about because it is, well... I would suggest, you might disagree, that it's unusual to have the man leading your attack as the one that's creating the most chances for teammates and the one sitting in behind him, where traditionally you would see a Buendia or a Hernandez, uh, that he's the one that's profiting you know, from the edge of the box, arriving late to score goals. Um, but it's working for Leeds. You know, however which way round it goes, Farka is getting... Big, big chance creation numbers from Ruter and also a couple of goals as well. And and you know he should have added to that 
we can talk about the miss in, in a bit. Um, but he's also getting goals from Piro. Piro's now got five, hasn't he? Five and eight, mm-hmm. something like that. Yep. Which five is, and eight, yeah. again, he's well on course to score 20 plus, 25 goals this season. So it's working, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. It is working. Um, it, it is a bit different, but I wouldn't say it's that far removed from what other clubs do. Like, you know, what Liverpool have done over the past couple of years when Roberto Firmino was there playing as the nine, so to speak, and then you had Mohamed Salah coming off the right, who was sort of the the team's top goal scorer season upon season. I'm sure there'll be other examples as well. Um, that wasn't a nine and a ten, though, was it? No, it wasn't. But you know you know the point I'm making, though, that it's, you know, you, typically your number nine scores more goals than your right winger. Yeah. So that's, you know, six and two threes. Plus ça, change, plus ça change. Oh well, I don't know. French. <laughs> Try to get a bit of trying to get a bit of Jorginho Ruta in there. Um uh, I, I loved his performance. I really, really enjoyed it uh against Bristol City. And I am just enjoying him play. I just think he's a joy to watch. The the stepovers, the tricks, the roulettes, um, the the pace, you know, that that shot that he had from the right-hand side. So he was involved in, again, in creating danger. And then I can't recall who couldn't quite gather the ball. It was either Somerville or Piro. And then the ball was kind of loose. Two defenders were close to it. And Ruter managed to get around the outside of both of them to take the ball into the area and shoot. He covers the ground very, very quickly. He works really hard. He, he tracks back. He's very difficult to shift when he has the ball in front of him and he's sticking his backside out. Uh, there's just so much to enjoy about his performances. And it kind of brings that whole, was he a good signing or not, into, into conversation again. You know, he wasn't the right signing in January, but he was a good talent to bring in, obviously, because he's playing such a big part in the way Leeds are playing and attacking as they go for promotion this season. I've told you Victor doesn't listen to this podcast anymore, so he's not going to hear your praise of his uh, his talent <laughs> ID. Um, I, I think he probably does, you know. I think he's probably clinging on to uh, to some. I think he's a bit of... busy, to be honest. Just oh, sacked actually, the manager. Yeah, just sacked the manager and appointed a new one. Um, just an ex-Uruguay manager he's just appointed. Uh, I, d- I don't know if it's actually been announced, but yeah, it looks as though it'll be Diego Alonso. Uh, um, I think it has been announced. And isn't that Bielsa's predecessor? Yep. It's amazing the way football works that you know everything's just such a small world everything's connected and it's all connected to Leeds United <laughs> yeah it's all connected to Leeds United when it's the international break because then it gives us something else <laughs> a very 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 tenuous link to write about um so yeah there's um there, there is a Bielsa connection there if you want to be if you want to be really really clutching at straws um, like I was yesterday when I did that piece um, actually just sorry just going back to your, your man Ryan Giles 2020-21 season you know Norwich went up do you know who uh, had the most big chances created in the championship that season was it Buendia it was Buendia he had 18 yeah so yeah and even even front. that I mean even that he got when 16 assists, 16 assists that season. That's incredible. 18 big chances. And that, that's to say that, you know, obviously they're just the big chances created. So the ones yeah. which are, which Opta, football data people, the statisticians, that they um, 
they describe it as uh, a, a chance which is worth 0.3 expected goals or more. Um, so typically you'd have a 30% chance of scoring. Um, and that's not to say that those 16 assists have come from those 18 big chances. No, you know, he might have got an assist from passing to someone inside his own half and then they've dribbled the length of the pitch and scored. Obviously, you know, that's not a big chance, but it still counts as the assist. Um, Ryan Giles, 11 big chances created that season. So, you know, room for improvement. Um, one assist. So there's, there's a bit of bit of disparity there. Maybe maybe we need to start looking at the metrics you're uh, you're writing uh, writing articles on Graham to um to make sure that you well it helps using them got, correctly. It helps if you've got a stone cold killer up front, doesn't it? If you're creating big chances, and you have to look at the quality around um Buendia and also the quality around Ruter. You know, he's when he plays the ball into the feet of Somerville on the edge of the area there's a good chance that Somerville is going to do something good with it. When he puts Jaden Anthony away, you'd like to think Anthony has a, has a decent chance of, of scoring. Um, and again, Piero, you know, if he's putting Piero into the area, there's a good chance Piero is going to put one away. So I would imagine his assists will rack up this season. Um, yeah. Maybe not quite at the same rate as his big chances, because there has been some wastefulness from Leeds. Uh, you know, Somerville, Put one against the woodwork, didn't he, at the weekend that maybe could have done a bit better with. Um, Ruter was wasteful. Piro was a bit wasteful. I'm thinking Bamford when he got played over the top by Ruter last week against QPR. So they haven't been entirely clinical. They haven't been there with a, a quite brutal finish as hmm. uh, as Farker would, would ask for. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I think his assists will will track quite nicely too. Um, but I just think you know, Buendia, even that Buendia number shows how dangerous uh, Ruter has been. You know, eighteen from that season when he was flying, and Ruter's got ten already. You're talking about quite brutal finishes there. Uh, I'm just watching a video of Joel Piro's um, five goals so far for Leeds. Um, actually. The goal against Bristol City is the one where he takes the most touches out of the five goals he scored, which is three. Um, because three of them have been one-touch finishes, and the other one was a two-touch finish. So that's quite quite clinical. That's quite brutal, if you ask me. Yeah. Uh, bish, bash, bosh. You know, he, he strikes the ball very, very well, very cleanly. That one against Bristol City through the legs of a defender into the corner of the net was very pleasing. Um, and it's just... It's just pure technique, isn't it? It's instinct and technique um, married together in one. I suppose it's confidence as well, just to take on that that opportunity. You know, he's he's outside the box. There are bodies to to get to get it through, but he backs himself to be able to to find the the corner. Yeah, um, yeah, it was very good, and and it kind of it just it fell nicely, didn't it? After the press conference and after what Farka said in that in that great big answer. Uh, so yeah, it was all very good. Anything else that you would pick out from the performance that you enjoyed? Anything you didn't enjoy? I didn't particularly enjoy the marking for the corner in first half stoppage time, which was a terrible time to concede. And and it it did have an impact that goal, I think, because Leeds were absolutely dominant in that first mm. half, and they had the game so in control. Ampadu and Kamara and Stroik uh, were 
uh, and Rodon actually were kind of like the they were ring fencing the, the the lead, weren't they? They were stopping Bristol City from playing in their half, and they were leaping up and they were making interceptions, making blocks and tackles, just making life generally miserable. And then suddenly you give away a shooting chance in your area, it goes out for a corner and you don't defend the corner properly. It's 1-1 and it's, you know, Farka pinpointed this game is very important to win. So you're looking at 1-1 and thinking, well, now you've given Bristol City something to defend again. Uh, and also, you know, they can counter and and it's just not so comfortable. Um, so the way that Leeds responded in the second half by going ahead again and creating more chances... And, you know, when they're up this season, they're going to have a lot of chances on the counter-attack, aren't they? Because of the pace they have and the, the skill they have. So um, it was pleasing the way they reacted, but but they kind of made life more difficult for themselves than they than they should have. I thought Kamara's part in the um, the first goal was was uh, was quite important. The sort of the receiving uh, the ball in midfield and kind of with the, the little feint of his body, allowing it to come across him. Um that was quite quite important. It was quite um we've talked about this goal actually on this podcast before. It was similar to the one that he helped set up or scored against was it Celtic in the Scottish Cup a couple of years ago for, for Rangers? Just in that sort of left hand central midfield area, um, being sort of very aware of his surroundings. I thought he was good. Um he's certainly someone who I think now after he's played a lot more this these past few weeks, will be someone that people keep an eye on in the, the Finland qualifiers over the next two weeks. Um, and you know what? He might even might even end up qualifying for um, for the Euros next summer. So could be a Leeds representative there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought that, that, that very, very small detail, but it was quite instrumental to, um, to, to Leeds getting that first goal. Yeah. What, what did you make of the, um, the, the, the Pearson crutches then? Because when, when I initially saw that, I thought, and my, my thought immediately went back to the previous episode when we discussed whether you thought Daniel Farker could physically best Nigel Pearson um, and which other managers in the championship he'd, he'd have a good chance of I don't know, wrestling to the ground. Obviously, that was never going to be the case with the man on crutches. I, think, I presume Daniel Farker's a, a sportsman-like individual, fair play and all that. Um, but yeah, what did you think of what do you think of those? He was moving very gingerly, wasn't he? He's been due for back surgery and I couldn't quite bottom out on Saturday, whether he's had the back surgery uh, yet or not, but he is due for back surgery. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was quite unusual to see a manager kind of sitting in a chair, uh, kind of not in the dugout, um, I suppose, because it meant that he didn't have to climb down into and then back out of the dugout. But it did mean that he wasn't quite able to deliver messages to his team as he probably would have wanted. Uh, and he had, you know, there was a there was a break in play for somebody to receive treatment. The players were kind of coming over, and Pearson had a member of staff coming to him to relay messages back to the players. Um, so, uh, so yeah, not not kind of at his, not at his physical best at the minute, Nigel Pearson. Um, I'll tell you what, though, I will credit Bristol City with proving me wrong because they did come to have a go. You know, they did come and try to attack. First few minutes, they made life quite difficult for Leeds. They tried to get down the sides, they tried to play, uh, and they played some all right stuff as well. They didn't just come and and park the bus and and lump it like so many have and will do at Ellen Road. Um, and they took the they took the defeat with pretty good grace. Curtis Fleming afterwards was was full of praise for Leeds United's attack. 
he lamented the fact that they hadn't really given Archie Gray enough questions, you know, playing at right back at 17, wished that they'd done a bit more and admitted that that came as a surprise. They thought Ampadu was going to do it. Uh, it was a surprise to us as well. I didn't see Gray playing there. Um, so we were kind of looking at, will he have a back three before the team sheet came out? Um, and then when the team sheet came out, you're thinking, well, no, it's, it's not going to be a back three, um, but who's going to play right back? And then Archie Gray plays there and, and absolutely smashes it out the park. Yeah, I mean, Daniel Farker said afterwards that, you know, full praise to Archie because you have an idea as a coach of what you want to be implemented, but then it's it's also the, the you know, the, the responsibility and the onus is on the player then to carry out what you've you've outlined theoretically. Um, and, and I think Archie did, um, was, was very active off the ball, um, put up a, a good... Well, defence really um, to to Sam Bell, who's who was Bristol City's or probably still is Bristol City's top scorer this season uh, on that flank. Um, and then Farker said afterwards, didn't he, that you know he wished he could wrap him up in in cotton wool before he goes away to um, to international duty. It's his first, well, it's actually his second call up to the under 19s for England, um, but the first time that he's been allowed to go because last month he had that slight injury or slight fitness concern. Um, so. Yeah, Archie will be in um, Montenegro this week, uh, where England will be playing three qualifiers um, for next summer's European Championships at under-19 level. So, you know, he's slowly but surely moving up those age ranks. And I think you said in a piece yesterday, Graham, it's no great surprise that he is playing a couple of age groups up because he's he's taken to championship football so well. Yeah, he. Um, you almost think, why is he not in and around the 21s? Uh, no, early. No. Do you not think? Maybe. But I feel like, I almost feel like sometimes if that's a player's trajectory, I know you don't want to rush somebody, um, but he's handled the championship so comfortably that I almost don't see the downside in him being in and around the 21s. I'm not saying he should start for England under 21s. I'm, I'm just saying under 19 football, is it gonna? Is it really gonna test him? I understand where you're coming from because you know you, you're you're essentially sharing the same concerns that Daniel Farkas had. That yes, he probably shouldn't play so much at youth level, which isn't really going to benefit him as much. But you know, until recently, he was. I mean, he's still 17. You look at the the midfield options that you've got in that England under 21 squad. You got Harvey Elliott. Until very recently, you had Curtis Jones. So they're two Liverpool starters. Um, Hayden Hackney's just um, changed allegiances, uh, swapped allegiances from Scotland to England. He's been good at Middlesbrough, so you know there is the argument that if Archie's doing it in midfield for Leeds, and why can't you know, um, you know, and and, and Hayden Hackney's been uh, called up, then why can't he? James McAtee um, with Sheffield United, you know, he was in the Championship last season. Charlie Patino at Swansea on loan from Arsenal. Again, playing regularly at the championship level, but it's more of a creative player. And then you've got Aaron Ramsey um, at Burnley, you know, the, who was with uh, Middlesbrough on loan last season from from Aston Villa. It, it is a talented group, but you just you just listed a number of championship players, Joe. Yeah, right. Okay. Who are in, Sorry, in Harvey, the... Harvey Elliott isn't. Aaron Ramsey okay. isn't. Neither is James McAtee. I've listed two. Yeah. But were they in the championship when they were in the 21s? I do believe they were. Charlie Patino wasn't. He was in the 20s. Okay. 
So, so basically, it's six of one and half a dozen of another. Uh, there is an argument to be made, isn't there, that he could be in and around the the twenty ones. But I also take your point. You know, maybe half a season or even one season with the nineteens, it's not going to do him any harm. It's just maybe not going to test him as much. Uh, you know the argument you should have made. Go on. This is the argument. You should have said, so Archie Gray is with the England under-19s this month. Yeah. Right? He's playing regularly. He's made nine championship starts out of 11 this season. Yeah. Darko Jaby, also at Leeds, is in the England under-20 squad. Yes. This is the argument that I should have made. Um, so thank you for helping me with my argument against you. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, Jaby's in there essentially because of being in there before you know rather than what he's done this season because it he hasn't had much competitive football at all has he um, no. and it doesn't feel like he's going to get a great deal at Leeds unless the picture changes in midfield quite dramatically and and you know Ampadu drops out or Kamara drops out or or, or Gray drops out with injury or, or whatever um, so yeah it, it is it is strange. It feels almost like Gray's in the 19s because he's 17. You know, that's mm-hmm. the only reason he's still in just the 19s. But of course, he could play for the 18s still. Um, could he still play for the 17s? Uh, I don't. Th- oh, uh, no, he should be able to because yeah, he's he should 2006. Do. Yeah. yeah, he should yes. still be able to. So, so really, you know, he could still be playing for. He's moved up two age groups. Which I suppose maybe in one in one leap is fine for now, um, but we're we're monitoring the situation in England. I have to say, and and we'll we'll be in touch if we feel that you know a change needs to be made. Uh, let's see how he gets on for the nineteens. Yeah, they've got three games um, off the top of your head, Graham. Who are England's nineteens playing this week? Uh, they're playing Montenegro in Montenegro. They're playing Wales in Montenegro and one other country in Europe begins with an A Andorra Azerbaijan uh, Austria Austria Austria. there we go Um, yeah you really hope that he doesn't start and play every minute of each game you can keep making this argument that he's he's blessed with good recovery and a good physique and and plainly very very good genetics but you still don't want to load a 17 year old so heavily that this you know takes six months to a year off the the back end of his career um because we have seen it haven't we with like prodigious stars that have played a lot of first team football from very very young you know from their their mid to late teens it has taken a bit of a chunk off you know, they have kind of the legs have started to go earlier than you would have expected. So there has to be a consideration for that, I think, at both international and club level. And I think recently, you know, Leeds got it right. You know, Kamara came in and, and Gray was allowed to rest a little bit. I think that will happen. And Leeds now have the, the luxury of being able to do that. Whereas previously, you know, in the central midfield, they didn't really have the options to look after players quite as they maybe would have liked. I was looking at... 
some some championship minutes uh, because obviously Archie's played a lot now this season. Uh, I was looking at them over past seasons in the past um, in the past week. Again, very international break fodder, isn't it? Um, and came across Ryan Sessegnon. He played regularly as a 16-year-old with Fulham and then as a 17-year-old. Uh, I think before his 18th birthday, played around 5,600 championship minutes, which is absolutely staggering. And you look at his, you know, last 18 months, two years, you know, he got a move to Spurs, didn't he? Um, 25 million pounds, whenever that was, and hasn't really kicked on. You know, he's been, he's had repeated injuries and I mean repeated, you know, lots of, um, lots, lots of issues. And yes, he's still 23 years old, but you have to say like his football age is probably more like 27, 28, just because of how much he has played. Um, you know, his... Yeah, he does have vast experience, but he's not being able to put it to good use at Spurs because he's, you know, significantly down the pecking order. Um, and I think that's one thing that you do have to to watch with Archie. Um, and and Leeds do seem as though they're on they're on the pulse with that. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 a consideration. But I mean, for the time being, I think we can pretty much as within reason enjoy him playing football, looking as though he's pretty much at home in senior men's football. And hopefully, you know, we've not talked about the the benefits of him playing 19s games. You know, him him being able to run games at, a, at an age group two years above at international games that would be that would be great. That would be fantastic to to be able to say and to to write about and and for Leeds fans to feel proud about. Um, so there's it's not all negative. You need to need to remember that sometimes, Graham. You're you're naturally pessimistic, glass half empty disposition. Is, is rubbing off on on this podcast and worst of all me so you know, i mean <laughs> i was how dare I was a, you i was a cheery young individual before i started working with you and, and now look at me I'm, I'm weighing up the pros and cons and oh i am a ray of i'm a ray of sunshine when it comes to when you think i think when you think of the the average disposition of a football journalist in this day and age i'd like to think i'm on the lighter side well, I mean, I'd say that's more to do with sort of the the demographic of football journalists <laughs> more than anything um, than, than than you're trying to make the point of. But um, yeah, no, I think should we talk about something more positive as well? You know, instead of oh, well, you know, Archie might get injured or oh, all that sort of stuff. Should we talk on, about um, a managerial change in the championship? Because uh, Wayne Rooney's back. Yeah, um, worst kept secret in um, in the Midlands, probably not just in football, but just in in general life in the Midlands. I think everyone knew that was going to happen, didn't they? When Rooney suddenly mutually departed DC United, um, waved goodbye to Matthias Cleek and flew back to the UK, and John Eustace got the bullet at, at Birmingham. Um, yeah. Interesting one. Uh, I, yeah, I, I didn't see it coming. I didn't see Eustace going because I thought he's done pretty well there, to he's be honest. Sixth, right? Yeah. But um, maybe they just, this whole alignment, alignment is a very easy word for ownership groups to throw around, isn't it? Because it can encompass so many things. It might mean that the style of football isn't quite what they want. It might mean the recruitment. They don't see eye to eye on recruitment. They don't see eye to eye on player development. They don't see eye to eye on ambition. It's just a catch-all for this isn't our guy. Uh, so and it's a bold strategy, 
Joe. So let's see how it pays off for them. Mm. Um, I mean, Rooney obviously did some good things at, at Derby. Um, he hasn't quite excelled, you would say, at DC United. Uh, is he going to excel at Birmingham? Well, one thing it does mean is that Cody Drama is going to be working under um, Wayne Rooney. Obviously, it's unlikely that, that Cody will come back to Leeds at this point, but you know, there's just just as we were saying earlier, the international break does forge these very tenuous connections in your head. Um, so there is there is a Leeds link there. But no, I, I it, it was obviously a very poorly kept secret, um, as you mentioned. I am looking forward to it, though just seeing how it pans out because he did do well under difficult circumstances at Derby. Um, can't say I followed his, his DC United spell. I can't say I really know how, he, how his teams play. Um, can't really say I know how John Eustace's teams played, but and I am curious to see how, how things will, will go for him. Um, mainly because you know, you get to get to share a press room with him and have the opportunity to to, to ask him a question, Graham. What, what would you you know, just completely out of the blue, doesn't have to be football related, doesn't have to be match related when Birmingham do come to Ellen Road on New Year's Day. Um, what What is the one thing that you have a burning desire to ask Wayne Rooney about? It can be anything. Uh, hi, Wayne. Um, obviously, Pete Shuttleworth uh, is in your staff. He was your uh, assistant at, at DC United. Um, he obviously started uh, or... or was at Worksop Town right back at the start of his coaching career um, when I covered Worksop. Has he mentioned me at all? It's just, do you see, I'm now speaking directly to the listener, do you see what I have to put up with? <laughs> the inherent narcissism that I, I have am, to keep at bay. I am delighted though for, for Pete Shuttleworth because he did start off in the Northern Premier League um, and then became an analyst at Derby and then he went to uh, Birmingham and he had like, I think five or six years at Birmingham as an analyst, a point that Birmingham managed to miss themselves in their press release announcing the new manager and his staff managed to miss the fact that their old analyst was coming back. Uh, and then he ended up at Derby again, I think, or did he, maybe he went Birmingham first, then Derby. And then he joined up with, with Rooney and then he ended up with the pleasure of, um, Coaching Matthias Click in at DC United. Uh, what what else would I like to know from Wayne Rooney? Oh, sorry, when you only it... get one question. You should know that from uh, Leeds United press conferences by now. Uh, You're limited. I do only ask. I don't only tend to ask one of uh, the opposition manager. If I do indeed pipe up for the opposition manager, um, when do they play Birmingham at Ellen Road? New Year's Day. Yes, fantastic. In that case, I could ask when. Any plans to bring Matthias Click back to England? Yeah, fair enough. That's yeah, that's that's a good one. I, again, it didn't have to be football related. It didn't have to be Birmingham related. But you know, your um, I don't know, fondness of Matthias Click does does. Well, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking content. I'm just thinking pure content, Joe. Look uh, what the international break has done to us. Yeah, <laughs> it's dulled me of my my fascination for life. What would you ask him? Well, I don't know. That's what I was asking oh, you for great. inspiration. Brilliant. Really good sure. answer not, the thing, Sorry, the things I, I would ask him, I'm not sure are probably going to be appropriate for this podcast. So, um, <laughs> you know, I was, I was yeah, trying okay. to eke them out of you. But no, you, yeah. you swerved that expertly. You sidestepped it. Um, 
Yeah, so but, our minds our minds work in very different ways. I think I'm mm. I'm pure football. You're more more the salacious side of things. Right. Okay. Um, would okay. Just interestingly though, I know that it means that Rooney will be back in the UK, and um, and your good friend Pete uh, will be back in Birmingham. Um, and it is does mean that individuals will be closer to their families and whatnot. But how <laughs> would you swap? Washington no. DC, no Birmingham. <laughs> as much as look, I like the bull ring as much as the next guy. Okay, but I, I don't know. Having having followed Matthias Click's Instagram and and Pete Shuttleworth's Instagram over the past while, and the places that they get to go to, and the and the place where they live, it would be a hard sell. <laughs> a very, and, and, also, you know, if you had your family out there with you, it'd be an almost impossible sell, I think. Uh, not to denigrate the, the good city of Birmingham or, or its people, but, you know, you, you're up against Washington, D.C. here. Uh, you're not comparing two cities in, in the Midlands or two cities in the north of England. So, um, yeah, it'd be a difficult one. If your family was still back here and you wanted to move back closer to home, I suppose maybe... But um, it's a difficult sell for me, even if they are promising a bold, ambitious project, Joe. I I imagine that Wayne Rooney will be living in Cheshire again, um, as as probably where he was living when he was at Manchester United and Everton and whatnot, and probably Derby as well. Um, and you know, we're, maybe we're being a bit a bit. I don't know what the word is. Um, disingenuous by suggesting, oh, you know, I love the I like the ball ring. I like the ball ring as next as, as much as the next person. Oh, the NEC, the National Exhibition Centre. Um, yeah, maybe maybe we're being a bit disingenuous there because if you're managing Birmingham and you are living in the area, you're probably going to be living Sutton Coldfield, Solihull, you know those types of areas, very leafy, suburban. Litchfield, Litchfield. <laughs> yeah. Litchfield is 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 neither leafy uh, nor particularly suburban. Uh, Maybe, maybe, maybe he'll station himself at Tamworth. So obviously, the rail links are quite good. You've got decent services there. Oh, uh, will we the... get? Will we get one episode where you don't discuss the British Rail Network? <laughs> that is the question. I've become um, a parody of myself. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, no, it's I mean, a... I'm, I'm hoping that that because you've just slandered Litchfield, the entirety of its town, that we don't see it like the next away game or something. A flag with Leeds United and it's like Litchfield Whites. They'll just be trembling. You won't be able to t- do any updates just out of pure fear yeah. of retribution or, or, and re- reprisals. Or if Chase Town somehow managed to make it into the third round of the FA Cup and draw leads at home and then we have to go there. Um, yeah, that would be uh, that'd be tricky. They'll have forgotten by then, don't worry. Yeah, I also think that they're probably not listening. Um, so obviously changes are afoot at uh, Birmingham City and St Andrews, but um, there was a, a changing of the guard narrative uh, during the post-match press conference of Daniel Farker after Bristol City. Um, Graham, you've you've tackled that this week um, because obviously Luke Ayling and Liam Cooper did not feature from the start. Both came on off the bench, um, and it's I don't know. It was it kind of flew under the radar a little bit, but it was noticeable that the team coped and thrived without them. Yeah, this was the first time that, that Farkas put out a starting lineup in the championship uh, since he arrived at Leeds without one of 
Cooper or Ailing, and it's all almost begun to feel a bit like if he doesn't have Cooper, he wants Ailing. Um, for the leadership, really, for vocal leadership and for Nice um, and for kind of the big personalities that they bring. But he didn't include either against Bristol City. You know, he went with that tactical swap with Gray at right back, so there was no place for Ailing. And um, Stroik's not probably coming out the team right now because he's playing well. And he's so responsible for so much of Leeds United's play when they play out from the back. Um, and and yeah, so it, it was a very noticeable factor. And I think I had quite a few people replying to me, you know, sometimes you get a bit of glee that a player that they're not in favour of being in the starting lineup is not in the starting lineup, which I always find a bit hard to understand. Surely you want every player to be doing well and and fighting for a place and performing when they come in. Um, and some people suggesting that this was it now, this was the change into the guard, and once Spence comes back in, that's that. But Farker doesn't see it that way. Um, you know, when I asked him about what kind of leader Pascal was and about what he thought of Pascal, who's made captain for the day, he chose firstly to talk about Cooper and Ailing. You know, he, he said, Liam Cooper is our club captain and he's incredibly important for us. Him and Luke Ailing were both really important in the dressing room for this game. And of course, then he, he turned to them off the bench, didn't he, when he wanted to see the game out in the final minutes. What I said in my piece was that it's not, it's probably not a changing of the guard yet as much as it is an evolution of the guard. You know, the natural consequences of players getting older and a club going through that cycle of of moving on to the next group of leaders and the next group of players. Both Cooper and Ailing out of contract in the summer, I think I'm right in saying. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. Dallas is as well, potentially. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it will be interesting to see if this is their last at Leeds or, or if they get another after that. Um, but you are right that I mean, Strike and Rodon look to have things locked down pretty well. You can't, you can't really say that the goal would have been avoided had you had had Cooper on because it was Kamara's man, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And Cooper normally tackles the the big lump, doesn't he? And Naismith isn't really what you'd call Bristol City's big lump. Uh, so Kamara was on him and and didn't really do enough to compete with him in the air. I mean, he's big uh, enough, Naismith. I mean, if you put him next to Peter Crouch on the touchline, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't wouldn't look too silly. You put anyone next to Peter Crouch on the touchline, Joe, and I am telling you, the same result happened to John McGinn the other week. It happened to me. No one is safe. Um, yeah, I, well, he's he's. I, I just don't think that he would be the the big galoot that Cooper would be next to. No, uh, you're, you're right. I was I was you, I was trying to monopolize the conversation to to make a joke at your expense. You were being facetious, and I, that's what I've. That's what we've all come to expect. Um, and yeah, Ailing, don't particularly think that that he would have performed that that role much better than Archie Gray did. You know, for for all his vast experience and nice, you know the. I think what Farker wanted from Gray was mobility and pace, you know, up against a, a fast winger and the recovery runs and getting back very, very quickly. I think Gray did all that really, really well. So you can't really say that that either decision was a mistake. Um, and, and Farker was certainly proved right, I think, in his selections. And it does just pose the kind of 
the question, do these veterans, although they won't settle for it because they're competitors and they want to play every game, do they have to at least come around a little bit to the idea of their role changing um, and playing a different role, you know, maybe coming off the bench more, maybe playing from the start less than they're used to. Um, I think that's probably going to be the case, particularly when Spence comes back in the next few weeks. Uh, you know, he'll he'll have to get back up to speed again, of course, but he didn't come here from Tottenham to sit on the bench, did he? And I know we're all, we're all basing it on a 10-minute cameo, but but he was so dynamic in that 10-minute cameo that there was it almost felt like there was a bit of inevitability engulfing him. And that's a dangerous thing because you can't just expect that this is how things are going to go. Football's very unpredictable. But it's a good situation for Farker to have. Yeah, very good situation for him to have. And I think we'll see the team um, continually evolve as the season goes on. But it does feel quite quite settled at the moment. And I think that's the point you're making, that you know, without Ailing, without um, without Cooper in there, it is doing ostensibly fine. Um, yesterday, well, we're recording today on, on the 11th of October. Yesterday was um, World Mental Health Day. And um, there was a fantastic video, very moving, very poignant video that was shared by Norwich City um, on social media, which certainly caught me off guard. I'm sure it caught a lot of other people off guard, not really expecting that the sort of the the payoff at the end of the uh, the, the video uh, would come in the way it did. It was essentially just a video to say, you know, check in on your mates. Myself and Graham, both very uh, strong advocates for mental health and and the the various avenues that people use to to uh, and seek to to help themselves. You know, we we know at Leeds United, there's lots and lots of fans who who go to those regular Andy's Man Club meetings and the fantastic work that they do there. And I just think it it's something which we discussed before we we started recording. It's something which definitely is worth mentioning because, you know, that I think the premise of the video that Norwich put out, you, you never know what someone's struggling with um, and it can often be a facade. So um, if you haven't seen that video, do go and check it out on, on Norwich's Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, wherever. And also just as a, as a message from us too, you know, um, Hope you're doing all right, Graham. What What did you take from that 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 message, that, that very poignant message from from Norwich? Um, I was really pleased watching it that it didn't kind of go down the the route of the guy who looks like he's struggling was struggling, you know, um, because it was quite jarring and very very powerful but also i think when a club does something like this and gets it so spot on it has cut through like it genuinely i mean you look at the look at the not only the fact that it was shared so many times and that so many people commented on it but um i had it sent to me by a mate who uh like he's a football fan of a, a championship club but we wouldn't tend to message about football too much. We might message not again, asking how the, the families are or how each other are getting on or, or try and like arrange a, um, a meetup for the families, but we wouldn't particularly message about football. And he sent it to me last night just with a, um, hope you're doing okay. Uh, and, and sent the link to it. Um, so if it's prompting people to do that and it's prompting conversations, then it's a very good thing. And I just think Norwich got the tone of it absolutely bang on. Uh, and it's just great to see when a club does, something like that um, and goes goes out of their way, I suppose, to, to hammer home a message. 
Um, but you're right that there has been a lot of kind of pro- profile and coverage given to the Andes Man Club initiative, and it feels like they're opening new groups all the time. Um, and it just, you know, that kind of stuff is just so important and so good. Um, a friend of mine quite recently um, passed away uh, very unexpectedly in very sad circumstances. And, you know, his wife has talked about um, how PTSD had played such a big part in his struggles. And our our relationship was very much one of, on the school run, talking about football and, and talking about Glasgow Rangers. And my regret is that we didn't break through that quite superficial um, I mean, fun all the same, but quite superficial, you know, talking about our club and talking about the results and games coming up and transfers and stuff, even just to punctuate it with a, how you doing? You know, how's, how's things going? Um, so, yeah, check in with your mates, ask them how they are and uh, and don't just chat about the football. Yeah, thank you for, thanks for sharing that, Graham. Um, I'm sure it'll have, you, know, you were talking about cut through with the, the Norwich thing. I'm sure that'll cut through with a lot of people as well um, who, who are listening to this. So, um, very much appreciated. Um, one final order of business on the Leeds United scene, or the ex-Leeds United scene, uh, before we uh, finish this week's episode. Um, Gaetano Baradi is uh, in line to become, or he might already have become, uh, an assistant for Brescia. Uh, they're under-19s this season, um, taking his first steps in the world of coaching, which he expressed a desire to, to go into over the summer. Um, so... Um, looking forward to that. Obviously, the the additional link there is that Brescia is Massimo Cellino's club. So, um, yeah, I think that's not the end of that story, to say the least, of, uh, of Berardi in in the management game. Um, could even potentially see him in the in the hot seat um, in I don't know two or three managers' time, which could be six weeks in Cellino's case. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see what happens there. But best of luck to to him, and, and I'm sure anybody who hasn't heard that. We'll be, uh, we'll be keeping a keen eye on how Brescia are doing, um, especially because they're actually doing a little bit better than Sampdoria at the minute um, in, in Serie B in Italy. So uh, that's everything from us on the Inside Ellen Road podcast uh, this week. Uh, thank you for listening from myself and Graham. And uh, yeah, as, as has become customary now, um, any parting comments that you'd like to make? No, just uh, enjoy the international break. Uh... Hopefully it will pass very, very quickly. Uh, hopefully there'll be something to talk about over the next week. Um, and the game against Norwich can't come soon enough. Yeah, it's probably the first and only time I'm absolutely dying to get to Norfolk. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, I've been Joe Donahue. This has been the Inside Ellen Road Podcast. Bye for now. The Inside Ellen Road Podcast is sponsored by PR Supplies at Unit 2 Wither Park Industrial Estate in Leeds. PR Supplies, everything for the home.